The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. In this episode, Victoria Menninger shares with us how she helps her clients set up simple, thriving gardens. Gardens that require less work when you find the right spot. For years, Victoria and her husband, Brian, have owned a residential construction company focusing on building patios, decks, pergolas, and hardscapes. Incorporating edible and perennial gardens has become an expanding part of their offerings. These beautiful and sustainable garden solutions are just what their clients are looking for in their home landscape. Victoria is permaculture design certified and holds a degree in psychology. This is episode 66, How to Begin a Simple Garden with Victoria Menninger. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Victoria, how do you begin a simple garden? The first step is figuring out where you might want to begin your simple garden, because I think that's a different answer for everybody. It depends on your situations. If you live in town, do you have a small side space? If you don't have an actual side space, maybe it's more on the patio or something like that. When people ask me, hey, how do I start a garden? My first question is, where do you envision starting that garden? Because that really will tell us what kind of the answer might be to that question. Could you give us a couple of examples that people have asked you for maybe different spaces? A lot of times I'm speaking with, because of just the work that I do, of residential situations where they're living in town. So maybe they don't have a lot of acreage or space that they can consider. And so they're just kind of a lot of times scratching their heads going, you know, I want to grow something, but I don't know where to put it. A lot of times in an urban setting, like at my house, we live in the middle of town. When we first moved to this house, There was no great space for a garden. And so we were able to take a side part of our, it was kind of a yard slash driveway area. And we were able to turn that into a garden. That might be a situation where maybe the space had been used for something else. And we can envision either putting garden boxes there or maybe actually putting an in-ground garden as well. Sometimes I also tell people, look for vertical spaces. Maybe you don't have a lot of ground, but you have a fence line or you have the side of your house, maybe your existing flower beds. A lot of people don't always think about the fact that they can grow food in their flower beds. They only think about putting perennials or bushes or something like that. But there's a lot of herbs and and other kind of vegetables that can actually look quite aesthetically pleasing and not, you know, overgrown or messy or whatever that you could put a space in your flower beds. So are there certain conditions that baby plants do better on one side of the house than they do the other? What you want to do is what I always tell people is observe your space first. Depending what kind of vegetables you want to plant or garden that you want to plant. So I'm assuming, I guess when I think garden, I assume vegetable garden, but maybe it's just perennials you want to put in a lot of flowers. You have to figure out what you're planting and what kind of needs do those plants have. So if there are sun-loving plants like 
you want to grow a bunch of tomatoes. Well, they love the sun. So you need at least a good six hours. And so you want to look for a space around your house that gets that amount. So you don't want super shaded because they're going to just struggle in that space. Looking for the sunny side of your house and what can you grow within that? It doesn't take a whole lot of space. So maybe it's only a few feet, but a sunny side of your house, you can grow you know, a decent amount of food. It goes into understanding your space. Are there other things that you need to do to understand that space? Yeah. Part of the other part I tell people is we need to know where the sun is and what is it doing and do you have a lot of shade or not shade? Shade's not bad, but you just need to know your space. Where are you going to get your water from? Do you have a spigot there? Do you have the ability to catch rainwater off of your roof? In our city, they allow us to utilize rain barrels. And I realize that not all cities or states allow that. It just depends on the regulations in your town. If you have a way to catch the water, so you're looking for that. The other consideration, at least where we live, because we live right below the Blue Ridge Mountains, is we have to think about deer and rabbits and wildlife. It'd be great for me to put a garden in, but if I always have deer that come out around my area, they're going to also love eating my garden. <laughs> so you have to think about pests and what's what's uh, coming into that space. I didn't realize there were some cities that wouldn't allow you to have rain barrels. Why is that? It depends on their regulations. I, I can't say I know the great reasons why some don't. It kind of honestly baffles me a little bit, but I know that I've had folks that have run into that situation where rain barrels are not allowed. I don't know if it's an aesthetic thing like an HOA where they're not allowing them in the neighborhood or whatever, but yet thankfully here we don't have that problem. But I know there are spaces where you're not allowed to have rain catchment. What is involved in creating a garden that will thrive in the long term? I really work with kind of a permaculture mindset, which might be a new term for maybe some of your listeners, I'm not sure, but really working kind of with the natural environment. Part of that is figuring out the soil health around you. Is your soil healthy or does it need help? Do you have any soil whatsoever? Like the space that I started in right beside our house, like I said, was a partly a driveway and just a yard. The ground was really hard. There wasn't much soil there to work with. So we actually land up bringing in some soil from a local nursery. We just went and got a load in the back of our pickup truck and started bringing in some soil because there wasn't anything there. We had to build it. So realizing that there may be some cost initially when you go to start that if your soil isn't good, because without healthy soil, things will really struggle to grow. You want to be able to bring in either healthy soil or if you have soil, you can take a look at that. You can also send a sample off to the local ag place where they can test it for you. Then you want to be able to start amending that soil with some composting, that sort of thing, to be able to bring the health of it up so you can start working at planting a, a healthy garden. Do you have a test or do you know if you're getting healthy soil when you purchase it? Here at the local nursery, they have sifted topsoil. So stuff will grow in it. But if you look at that soil, it's sifted nicely. It's maybe a nice brown color, doesn't have a lot of clay in it or whatever. It may not have worms and the things that you find in healthy soil. It hasn't had time to build up those healthy bacteria in that soil, maybe because it's being sifted or dug out or whatever. When I brought that topsoil in my space, we land up adding some manure to it. I have a local place that I can get that from a local farmer. So we picked up some manure and we worked that in. You can also pick up some compost from the local nursery or I know like some of the bigger box stores sell some of that and just start working that in to the soil. Isn't always necessarily the healthiest of soils, but it is a start. So you can grow things in that. Your first year garden probably is not going to be stellar type of garden, but don't give up. You can do things over the course of that year and the next year 
to continue to build soil health with composting, especially mulching. I like to use broken down leaves on top of my garden beds because it helps to bring in good organisms to the soil and help build up the soil health. Do you have that source within your property or are you going around and writing neighbors' leaves? <laughs> <laughs> you could do that as well if your city is like this, but our city is when people, they rake their leaves and they put them in bags and they set them out to, for the trash folks to pick up. You most certainly could go down and say, hey, can I have all those bags of leaves? Because yeah, that's yeah. to me, that's like gold <laughs> because it's good stuff to add to your soil. Here, because of kind of the work that we do in our construction company and stuff, we have some connections with some landscaping folks. In the fall, when they go to clear people's yards and they rake all the leaves and they suck them up into their trucks, into the back, we actually have a space that we've kind of worked with a landscaper to be able to just dump those leaves for us because they actually here, they have to pay to dispose of that at the landfill. They are happy to have a space just to dump that whole truck full of leaves. And so I started accumulating those at a location that we have, which then I'm able to offer that to friends and family and say, hey, we have leaves here if you want to come get those for your garden. There's a couple ways you can go and source that. If you have trees in your yard in the fall, rake those up, mow them over and get them kind of mulched down and then save those things and put them on your garden because that'll really help over the winter time to build that soil health. Yeah, you're just recycling those nutrients back yeah, into the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're building healthy bacteria in that soil. Absolutely. And then it encourages earthworms to come. If you could really take a cut out of the earth, of the soil there, you would begin to see a whole colony of stuff happening and going on inside that soil. And that's what you want. You want that healthy bacteria, earthworms, and bugs that roll through there. That's great for the soil. Well, let's say you're doing container or raised bed. Is there a different process in that? Yeah, there is. When we put in containers for folks, especially the taller your container, you want to be careful, at least from my experience, not to put just straight topsoil in it. I've had people that have put topsoil straight into their boxes and then they wonder why the soil is struggling. It gets super heavy in there and it begins to compact. What you really want is you need really loose soil in there. So a lot of times we actually will put bagged soil from the store to fill that up. Or another thing that you could do when you first build your garden beds, I've done this before. I find sticks, I find rotting wood, anything like that for the base of it. And I put that in the bottom and then I add my soil. One, you don't have all the cost of filling it completely up with soil. All that stuff will start breaking down and decomposing and just adding health to the soil. The next year, you'll have to add some more soil to it. But for that year, it's a great way to kind of get started without having to fill the whole thing up. <laughs> yeah, twigs and limbs, might be a log if it's big enough. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing to watch for is if you have anything that you think is diseased, like a diseased tree or limbs off of a diseased tree, you don't want to put that into your garden. That I would just dispose of, either burn or throw, just so you don't introduce that disease or whatever it is back into the soil. So that would be something to avoid. If you're not sure, just leave it and find something that you know is healthy or whatever for that space. All right, we're in the middle of July and our next opportunity to really do a lot of planning or starting a garden It's your fall season. We're in Virginia and right now we're in the heart of summer. It's getting hot and it'll get even hotter as we go into August because we get the humidity with that. Really into September is when we can start looking at putting our fall crops in. Lettuce, spinach, broccoli, any cool weather loving plant is great for that. Right now would be a great time to start planting that. If you have not put a garden in, if you haven't built any boxes or anything like that, now's a great time. Give some time to get it in before the weather turns. It really depends on your planting zone that you're in. Now would be a great time to think about that. 
I know you do this for a lot of your clients for your business. Could you just walk us through maybe an example of a client's project you just put in and how that turned out? Just to give some background, we're a residential construction company, but we work in the outdoor backyard space for our residential clients. And so a lot of times we're putting in porches and patios and decks and hardscape. Lately, in the last year or so, we've begun to have clients that really either want to put in some kind of perennial garden or garden boxes as part of that bigger project. For instance, I just finished wrapping up a project where we put a hardscape in which is just patio stone for a lady. She really wanted to have some perennial plantings, but she didn't really want just bushes or whatever. I was able to go in with her and kind of just talk through kind of what she was looking for and design and maintenance and all that. She wanted something that was flowering and beautiful and would draw the pollinators, which are wonderful. While she wasn't looking to garden as far as vegetable garden, she did want to add to her home in that way. And I was able to go in and help her do that and find plants that were low maintenance and yet things that were beautiful as well and be able to bring in those pollinators and those important things for our ecosystem to continue to operate. One other one that I had so much fun with, we actually did this last November which around here, it was getting cold, but the weather was still fine to do this. So we ended up putting in 14 garden beds into a brand new home. And we just put them in ground beds and we built those out for a client. It was great to be able to sit down with them to hear their vision of wanting to grow their own food. They were first-time gardeners and they wanted to get in and do all of that. They weren't quite sure where to start. I was able to just sit with them and hear what their vision was and give them some ideas of what they could start doing. And then we kind of got a design together for them. Then we put that in for them. And so this is their first year of planting. And I was just talking to her the other day because I see them quite regularly. She was so excited about some of the new things they were growing and being able to experiment with. One of the things that she said to me that I thought was very key, especially for a beginning gardener, was realizing that you can dream a lot on paper and, and make up all your plans. But until you get your hands in the soil and you begin to work at it yourself, some of those things that you're trying to learn through reading and research don't really hit home until you actually get to practice them <laughs> and figure them out. So that's the fun part for me is helping them have those little light bulb moments of, aha, this is what I could do with my space or this is what I can grow. Yeah, those discovery moments. Yeah, absolutely. And we're beginning to see resurgence of people interested in growing their own food or creating more of a space for plantings and that sort of thing, especially since the pandemic and just trying to understand one, where does their food come from? And two, how do I grow a little bit of my own for some more food security? That's been kind of an interesting side and finding these new gardeners wanting to put something in their space. Have the new gardeners that you've been working with, have they discovered weeding yet? <laughs> They've discovered that there are weeds. <laughs> and it's just part of the process. But part of the way I actually teach is around some permaculture methods. And part of that is no-till gardening, which basically means, you know, we're not tilling up the earth over and over again, but we're doing things like composting and then leaf mulch and stuff. I try to teach them ways that they can garden without all the work be able to not have quite so many weeds in your garden and it be much more of a joyous occasion because I remember as a child, that was my job was to weed the garden. And believe me, it was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> not a joy in that weeding, wasn't it? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. And I could tell you as a kid, I did not like gardening at all. My mom was a huge gardener, put up and preserved food. I remember long days in the garden weeding and over and over again. So I, I'm glad I kind of have found a different approach that kind of helps eliminate a lot of that. <laughs> Let's flesh out those approaches maybe a little bit about how you do suppress weeds or don't have as much weeding to do as you did when you were a child. 
love leaf mulch. We were just talking about that. This is the very reason. And you can use other things like straw, even cardboarding and stuff. So a lot of times when I put in a first time garden, I'll use cardboard to lay down first. If you have any grassy areas or whatever that you're trying to cover over because it'll kill the grass, but then it turns grass into kind of like food. It decomposes that and helps it to feed the soil. When I go to garden past spring and I put my plants in, I will go ahead and leaf mulch them pretty heavily around the plants that I just put in. We do this for two reasons. One is because it helps to retain moisture in the ground. When you water, you don't lose it so fast. So you're not having to water quite as often. And I just find things thrive better. Then it also represses weeds because weeds are opportunistic. They're looking for bare soil. That's what they're looking for. They want to be able to spring up. They seem to find it no matter what. (laughs) By covering the bare soil around it, and there's not as much opportunity. And so I just find that then if we do have weeds when they pop up, they pull out a lot easier too. You know how when you get weeds and it's in bare soil and it's then dried out bare soil, it is like you have to take a pickaxe just to get it out. What we're trying to avoid is that very thing. We want to have soil that is soft and workable. I just find that mulching over it really helps for those two very reasons, is moisture control as well as just weed control. And it just makes for a much more pleasant gardening <laughs> experience. Yeah. What about if you're direct seeding? Do you mulch over your seed or how do you do that? It's a great question. So I don't mulch over the direct seed. I leave that row open, but then once they start coming up, whatever they are, whether they're peas or green beans or whatever, then I'll mulch around them at that point. Usually they don't take super long to sprout. Weeds, they take time. There's not a whole lot of work to then go behind and pull some if you need to. I do mulch the pathways and you can also do wood chips in your pathways. I do that a lot and, and do a heavy wood chip path in the spring when we first start because it gives me a travel path, but it also keeps weeds from growing up. Some people don't mind that and they're fine to just let it be grass or whatever, and then they maintain it by mowing. That's most certainly appropriate too. It's all about covering that bare soil is really what you're trying to get at. Yeah. And you're not compacting the soil either too, if you got wood chips. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you don't want to compact that soil either, that we don't want to halt the, the growth by walking all over <laughs> that area. Oh, you're talking about no-till. How, how does that work into it? Part of what I remember growing up as a child was mom and dad would always pull out the tiller and every single year they would just till up the garden over and over again. And what I didn't realize at the time when I was young and and which I'm beginning to understand now because I'm still learning, (laughs) believe me, and have only in the last few years started going more towards no till. We don't till the ground with a tiller and really dig it and turn it over. Because when you do that, you land up kind of destroying that soil habitat, those good uh, bacteria that we're talking about, those earthworms that are in there. It starts just breaking all that down. And so we want to leave that intact. So we might turn over the top part of the soil, like when we go to plant, but everything else we kind of leave undisturbed. Remember, by now we've mulched down around our garden beds and stuff. So all those layers of composting and mulching are beginning to work to really build healthy soil. So we don't want to disturb that. I've just found that my gardens have done so much better by just not disturbing the soil over and over again every single year. First time you decide to do a bed, do you turn it over then? After you start adding compost and everything, that's when you don't do any more tilling, right? After the initial one, or do you not till the very first time? I don't till the first time either. What it requires is to have a little bit of composting on hand or whatever. So I also have chickens. They, of course, in their yard, once they've been there a while, that soil has gotten to be really healthy and stuff from all their droppings and then all the scrap that they're eating and everything like that. 
when I put in the bed here at our house, what I did was I actually came over it with cardboard first. So I put a layer of cardboard to kill the grass that was there and that grass then decomposed underneath. And then I came over that with a couple of inches of composted soil from our chicken yard. You could achieve the same thing by bringing in topsoil or if you have other composted matter and build your bed that way. You weren't tilling. While it is some work, I find that once you have it set that first year, then you just start building on top of that. I've seen people till it the first year, then begin to improve their soil. And then the second year, because they've improved their soil and they've been mulching, they then don't till the second year. I think there's a couple approaches to it. I prefer to cardboard if I can and bring in the soil, but I realize that there's a cost involved in that. And so not everybody can do that important part is to get started and then getting started. How can you build your soil health and your garden from that point? So if we're going to have a fall garden, then we need to start cardboarding real soon. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, at least to get started, it depends on how big of the area you're going to work in. And, and what I'd say to that too is be careful how much you bite off. Don't try to do it all at once in your first year. If you're a beginning gardener, smaller is better at the beginning while you're learning because there's so much to learn. And that's a lot of times I give that advice is we all go into the nurseries and we see all the plants and we're like, oh, I want to plant everything and every species and everything. Our gardens get huge and all of a sudden they become a huge amount of work and a burden and then we don't want ever a garden again. I don't want that to be people's experience. So I usually encourage them, start small. Just start with one little area and then grow from there. If you do that and you learn how to do the cardboarding and you add the composted soil or whatever topsoil to it and start working on it that way, it's not so daunting of a task. So that gives us a purpose for all those Amazon boxes and things that come into our house. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Sometimes you get boxes that have all the plastic on the outside. They're kind of plasticky feeling. I avoid those because those do not break down well at all. I look for the ones that are plain cardboard. Pull any excessive tape that's on them. They'll break down pretty quickly. Once you lay that layer down, make sure you're watering it really good. Just spray it down so it begins that process and it keeps it laying there, especially if you get a little bit of a gust of wind. You don't want it like cardboard to go flying (laughs) while you're trying to put the dirt down. cardboard comes from trees so you're just cycling it back in i was at a meeting one time and the forestry guy was there and i said is forestry declining because we're not using paper anymore and he said no do you not ever get any amazon boxes at your house (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly yeah i think it's alive and well and there are different opinions about whether cardboard is a good idea or not but i have always found that at least in my situation that my gardens have been better for it and the soil has been much healthier for adding that type of material what is the other side why do some people say that cardboard's not good i think there's a concern that it's maybe damaging to the earthworms or any of the organisms in the soil that's already there that's really all i've researched and read i don't know a whole lot on that side of things There's always different sides of it and positive and negatives and things. And that's why I kind of watch for cardboard that has that plastic coating because I just know it's not going to break down. I've experienced that firsthand. And anything with excessive plastic tape, you just kind of want to pull that. But you don't want to get every little nth thing. It'll eventually come off there and you'll find it in your garden. And then I just kind of pull it out if I have a little bit there. So Well, it sounds like you're allowing nature to aid you in growing your food. It's also about reducing no waste. The way I look at it, if you have tomatoes that are growing and they're doing great, but then you have a couple that have fallen and don't look good or whatever, you don't want to harvest, taking those things from your garden and actually turning them into a compost. 
learn about composting, create a small little composting bin, your side yard or whatever. We actually have a composting bin in our side yard and we live in town. We don't have any trouble with animals or whatever coming through it. There's some ways to mitigate that so that aren't attracted. It's looking at it and going, what can I do with this other than harvesting these plants in the garden? How can I turn them into something useful so that we're not wasting? In that same way, utilizing nature for our benefit, not just for growing food. I actually don't pull stuff out once it's died back. I just let it die away. Like, so the tomatoes, I just let the tomato vines kind of die back. Sometimes I clean them up if it feels like they're a little messy or they're trailing too far, but I leave the roots in the ground because it allows them to start decomposing slowly over the wintertime. Once again, feeding the soil. So we're utilizing that part of the plant. We're obviously not going to harvest that to eat it, but it can then feed the soil. In the spring, if I need to remove the roots out of the way so I can plant, then I do that. I'm learning to find these different ways to utilize every piece of it through the season, which has been kind of interesting and fun. Yeah, I would think as those root systems decay too, they provides pathways for oxygen into your soil too. They provide that and they provide food to the things living in the soils. I always think that that's beneficial and helpful. Gardening can be very complicated if you really look at the science of it and everything going on below the soil and above the soil. It can seem very complicated. To me, it's just fascinating and there's always something to learn one of the very first things I tell beginning gardeners is just keep observing that space. Not just when you are going to put your garden in, not just when you plant, but all year long, like walk through your garden purposefully and just look, see what you see, observe what's going on and see how you can be creative with that space. What is something creative that you've seen? A lot of times we think of gardens as being only a space to grow food if you're doing a vegetable garden. But I've also found that gardens can be great places to sit quietly. I have a bench sitting in my garden because it gives me a place to, well, sometimes to set things down, but also just to sit in my garden, observe or watch. Some folks like to also bring in water features or they might put in feeders or whatever to draw birds in, which sounds counterintuitive to bring them into your garden, but some birds eat certain types of pests and whatnot. It's like, how do you make it kind of a place where you can also find solace? I love gardening because for me, it's very therapeutic. My job can be very stressful (laughs) with running our company and all of that. I think that's part of why I garden. It becomes that space as well. How did you rediscover the joy of gardening from maybe your childhood when you didn't? My return to gardening was out of necessity is really how I feel like it came about. We have four daughters who are now grown and two are married. When our oldest was a lot younger, she had gotten fairly sick. It took us a while to figure out a lot of what was happening with her had to do with just her gut health. A lot of what was suggested was returning to more of a holistic eating. As I worked with a nutritionist, as I worked with the doctors and stuff, I knew that returning to whole food, to fresh food was really going to be key to helping her get better. And so I returned to the only thing that I really knew, which was growing a garden. At the time, we lived on about 10 acres, and so we had the space. We just kind of started diving in. The thing about it, though, was which led me to the whole permaculture thing was the fact that we lived on land. It was just clay. It had been an old pasture field, and it was just this hard clay. And so we had to figure out a way to get healthy soil going so we could grow things. It was in that process of growing a garden again for our family and helping our family return to a healthier place that I realized that I actually enjoyed gardening. Changed a little bit how I had grown up gardening so that it was more enjoyable, like the whole weed thing (laughs) (laughs) and not having to weed all the time. I started really getting to understand gardening from a bigger perspective. And I began to find the joy in just feeding my family and uh, preserving food again, becoming a lost art, but retaining that art that my mother had taught me. Now I love passing on that joy to others. 
Have you been able to share these methods you've learned with your mom? I have. And actually, it's been a little comical at times because she came out to my garden the other day. We were mulching and she understands now why I mulch. But the very first year that I did that, she was with me. She's like, okay, explain this to me again. Why do you do this? And when I explained it to her, she's like, now, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) And, you know, she's like all these years of weeding and all of that. It has been fun to kind of bring her back and to show her kind of the things I've learned. I've also spent some time kind of picking her brain because I'm like, she has gardened for so many years. There are things that she grew up with and just knew that I want to understand because while they may be some of the old ways, the old ways are not always bad. You know, sometimes they hold a lot of wisdom. That's been fun. I can tell you that she spent a lot of years gardening and she's good now. Like she's okay to just help me, but she's like, I'll just let you do the gardening and (laughs) we'll enjoy some tomatoes and things like that and it'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are some of the things you picked up from her wisdom? I think, honestly, it was just being willing to put the hard work in. I don't know if I sit here and think about this is a specific way that she planted peas or she put in tomatoes because my growing up years were spent in New Mexico. Planting in a desert climate versus Virginia (laughs) is vastly different. So sometimes the things that I learned as a child don't translate to planting in Virginia. But I most certainly learned hard work and taking care of my family from my mom. And honestly, the canning skills that she taught me, even teaches me yet today as well, I think have been some of the best lessons I've learned from her. You know, I think that's something we don't talk about a lot is preservation of the food. Would you like to touch on that just briefly? Yeah, I can't say I'm a master at it because I'm not. (laughs) I'm still learning. It is slowly, I think, becoming a lost art. I'm beginning to see it come back. I actually, just this past weekend, I got rid of some of my canning jars because I have so many. I have way too many, more than I'm going to need. I decided to try to get a little bit more room in our garage where they're stored. And I was talking with a young mom who came to pick up some of them. She was talking about how her great-grandmother used to, to can and preserve food that her mom and grandmother never really did. She's been kind of learning from the lessons of her great-grandmother and trying to return to that for her children. It is a skill that I think is important to understand the ability to be able to preserve your food. I know that there are a lot of different places you can start learning that. There's definitely places online, folks that are teaching that. If you have a chance to learn that skill, I just get started. There's a lot of resources out there. What have you learned this year that you are going to be able to take and apply in the future? One of my early lessons, and actually I've learned this lesson over and over again, but every year seems to remind me that at the end of the day, there's only so much that we can control. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We can't control nature. We can make our best effort. Certain things we just can't control. We will put forth our best effort, but there's only so many things that we can control and not to get discouraged by that. This year in Virginia, at least, usually we wait for the last frost to be gone. I usually follow the farmer's almanac on that. They're pretty close to that. And so this past year was April 28th. And then I've learned to make sure I give that about two weeks. So I gave it about two weeks and it was warming up nicely. It was looking beautiful. The temperatures were holding and it was great. And so I went ahead and I planted the majority of my garden. Literally two days later, we landed up with a cold snap late in the spring, which we don't normally get. It literally took out almost my whole garden. (laughs) It reminded me again that there are just some things that we can't plan for. We do our very best, and I've been gardening for years and have been following kind of the same timelines and whatnot and and know what to look for. I just had a moment where I looked at all my plants, which were looking very pitiful in the ground, and I just like, well, I guess we start over again. I think that's the lesson, at least in gardening. When it's dealing with plants, a lot of times I'll tell the clients that we work with, we're getting ready to put all these plants into your home. But there is a nature component here that we cannot control. 
And so if that happens, you know, we'll figure it out and, and we'll replan if we need to or whatever. But uh, don't let that discourage you. Just learn from it and then try again. And that's what I had to do this year. I just like, okay, I've learned my lesson. Once again, there's some things I can't control and land up replanting everything that I had just planted. <laughs> What would you say would probably be your most valuable garden mistake? Is I've learned over and over again the importance of mulching, of getting that mulch bed in around my plants, because there's times I've delayed doing that. <laughs> and then I land up with the weeds or I land up with just other problems or whatever. And it would have saved me a lot of headache if I would have just done what I know to do and put the effort in to make sure that those things were taken care of. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden? I wish that they would take a little bit more time to decide where they're going to put the garden. What I mean by that is this. A lot of times people wait a little too long to decide, one, if they're going to put a garden in, and then they want to rush the process. They might wait till the the weather warms and they're standing in the garden center and then they're like, oh, I want to put in a garden. And then they rush to put it in without kind of doing some due diligence of observing their space, figuring out where the best spot is and taking the time to put the garden in properly. Because if you want to do this for the long haul, it's worth the effort to just step back a minute and really look at your space and figure out where you want to be, even if it's delaying it for the spring and not putting one until the fall. Maybe you arrived in spring and you're like, oh, I should have put a garden in. So instead of rushing it, take the spring and summer to watch your space. Where's the sun? What does the soil look like? What are the water conditions? That sort of thing. Do I have any other issues going on? And figure that out first. Then in the fall, start putting in that garden because once you put it in, you can then plant that fall. Yes, in the spring, you are set up so much better to begin to have gardening success than to rush into something otherwise. What's your earliest garden memory? Uh, Probably pulling weeds. In New Mexico, because we gardened kind of in a desert condition, you actually have to mound everything. So we would mound all of our rows and we'd plant in the mounds. Then we would irrigate by opening up the irrigation ditch that was at our property there didn't water from the water hose or anything like that because water was a premium. We had a specific time that we could let the water out from the irrigation ditch because it was shared with the neighbors. We watered that way. And I remember as a child, I was so excited about irrigation day because if you sat just right in front of the irrigation ditch and then dad let the water out, it would kind of swoosh you down (laughs) one of the rows until mom yelled at us to stop playing in the garden. So I think that probably is one of my earliest memories is is the fun, that part of the fun of it. And then, yeah, weeding. So <laughs> <laughs> Have your own little water slide there. Yes, exactly. And it just was not quite the same when we moved to Virginia. We actually, the first year we moved to Virginia, for some reason, we mounded everything until my mom's standing there going, why did I just do that? Like in Virginia, you don't have to do that. We were watering with the water hose and we didn't have irrigation ditches and stuff. But to my mom's credit, she she had lived in New Mexico for 20 years. So it would just have it really. And then we adjusted. So. <laughs> well, what are your future plans for your garden? A couple of plans, I think, for our garden is one, I will always keep a personal garden, more of a kitchen garden for myself. One of our other big plans is the property that our business is on is about three acres. And there is a small section of that that is down on the backside. And I plan to actually turn that into uh, demonstration gardens, not only for our clients, but also then all the food that we raise out of there will actually go towards our staff there at Bear Creek so that they can have fresh produce. I'm kind of envisioning it something to signing up for a CSA. Then they can each get a share out of the garden to take home to their families because we love being able to bless our team members that work for us. And so that's kind of the next big 
goal, working to partner with a local agency that has some grants available for that kind of thing. Kind of at the beginning of that, I don't anticipate that going until this next spring. That's kind of my big, big goal. Is that going to be like an employee garden? Yeah, it definitely is going to be an employee garden in that they'll receive kind of the benefit of that and they can volunteer time there if they want to and be a part of that. I also envision you talked about different uses for your garden. So I also wanted to have a space where they can sit and eat lunches if they want to for the staff that are on site. A lot of our field staff obviously is out in the field to be able to sit and just enjoy that area because it's right down, not very far from the river. So it just has a really beautiful spot there. We have a lot of team members that are interested in gardening and learning how to garden. And so what better way to kind of pass those lessons on than to to teach our team how to do that and to have that experience. What is the focus of your company, Ben, and then now you're adding gardening as as a side? Tell us how that relationship works. We are a residential construction company, putting in porches and decks and patios and such. For the longest time, for the last seven or so years, that's all we've done. We have never done the landscaping gardening side of that. We have just not had the bandwidth to do that or the staffing to do that. But in the last year, as I have really been doing more teaching around gardening and stuff and making that more public, what I've been doing, we've had the opportunity for several clients to start adding edible landscaping to their projects or perennial gardens to their projects and stuff. And so we've actually added that on as part of one of the things that we're now starting to offer as we complete a job. Because oftentimes when you complete a patio or a deck or whatever, you need to add landscaping. People are choosing to add landscaping that edible or perennial in nature that's not just your standard bushes or whatever. We are beginning to offer that more publicly to first our clients and then looking to do that even as standalone offerings to people if they want design or consultation. So I will go out and consult with folks if they want to talk about putting in a garden, but they don't know where to start. Just like we talked about, like, how do you know where to put it? How do you know if it's appropriate? And how do you do that? And so I'll just consult with them and they want to do the work themselves. Or if they don't want to do the work themselves, we as a staff now have the capability of coming in to build out those boxes or those garden beds. And then I stay kind of on site to help with that. And we can help them plant it or if they just want to plant it. My goal is to help them get started in gardening. Not to do it for them, but to be able to just empower them to really get going in that. That's kind of how it started to shape up for our company. And it's definitely been something that I've been interested in doing because of my background. So that's been a fun part. Do you have a funny garden story for us? Yeah. So I was talking about pests in around your garden. We live in town and we have a lot of squirrels. We have these two particular squirrels that I kind of have a love-hate relationship with. (laughs) Do you have names for them? I do. I do. I, I call them Fred and Ethel. <laughs> <laughs> they're not ever trying to tear up my garden in that they're not eating the fruit. But when I usually go to plant my garden in the spring, they love the fact that the dirt is turned over. And so they want to plant all of their walnuts and acorns and everything that they're trying to plant for the winter. So it's this kind of this back and forth like, okay, I just planted a row of snap peas. And they dug up half of them because not because they went after the seed necessarily, maybe they did, but they're also planting stuff alongside of me. It just has to be one of those things where we kind of have to live with. But I do remember one particular, we got to the end of, I think it was last summer and I had grown some watermelons and some pumpkins and stuff just in the side yard and the watermelons we eat, but the pumpkins, I like to put on my front porch just for decorations or whatever. So I had pulled them, I put them on my front porch. And they were looking beautiful for a few weeks until I noticed one had like this small bite out of it because it was getting soft. 
I progressively watched this thing get eaten and eaten. And it was one of the squirrels would come over and help himself to the pumpkin and the seeds inside of it. And it was progressively getting less and less of a pumpkin. And one morning I came out and this thing is pulverized all over the front steps. (laughs) He had ripped the whole thing open. one of those things where I'm like, okay, you know, I can see that I grew you a pumpkin so I could feed you. So you leave the rest of my garden alone. So, (laughs) and and I had pictures and everything. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to figure out how to get along with the pest in your garden. You're not always going to be able to eliminate everything. And I'm not saying you should, you know, sometimes we have to just find that balance (laughs) one way or the other. I never heard of a squirrel eating pumpkin favorite plant this week? I really like my herb garden. We grow everything from basil to oregano to chives, which I just love having that fresh right outside my door. Cooking away, need a little bit of an oniony taste, but I don't want a whole onion. We'll go grab some chives or something like that. I love that. Brussels sprouts were one of those things that I had never grown. They are the coolest looking plant, (laughs) I think. It was nothing like I imagined. I don't know that I even looked it up, but kind of have this rule that I only try one new plant a year, meaning like exotic, well, exotic to me. Not that Brussels sprouts are exotic, but I had never grown them. I decided that I was going to grow Brussels sprouts. They grow on the stalk. I don't know what I was imagining how Brussels sprouts grew. That was not what I thought. And they're kind of a cool plant. I think that's probably one of my favorites. I've never grown Brussels sprout. (laughs) My kids loved them and so do my husband. The funny thing is, as much as I love to garden, there's only a handful of things I eat out of the garden. So my husband says I'm a great gardener, but I'm horrible at harvesting, which he's right. So I just figure out how to pass the food on to everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Who has been one of your biggest influencers during your career? I think one of the biggest influences, and I've had a number of them, would be Joel Salatin and uh, Polyface Farm. So we live not very far from there. We only live about 20 minutes from Polyface. And so we have the privilege of being super close and being able to go down to the farm and just see the different things happening there and do the tours. And I think just Joel's approach to raising animals, growing food, caring for the earth, all those things have been really instrumental in the things that I've learned. In particular, I spent some time there when I was doing my permaculture design certification. That was just a lot of really good lessons to be learned from someone that's now in the middle of, of doing all of those things. Well, what would be an example of something you took from him? I think the biggest thing is just his care of of people and the earth and of animals and just how that is all intertwined together. Most certainly fits a lot with the permaculture methods that I've learned over the years and such. For me, it's when I'm gardening, it's with the understanding and realization that we're caring for something. It's not just caring for the plants, but how are we taking care of environment around us? How am I taking care of my home and my family and stuff? And so I think it's just they reinforce of those lessons that have been so impactful. Victoria, tell us how people might connect with you. Yeah, so they can connect with me either over on my website, victoriaminninger.com, or you can find our company website at bearcreek.co. Either place you'll find me. This has been episode 66, How to Begin a Simple Garden with Victoria Minninger. Thank you, Victoria. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.